Good evening. It's a, it's a delight to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I, I really appreciate the organizers and Pastor uh, Miller for giving me this opportunity to be your speaker uh, for this conference. When I was asked to, uh, to speak on Christian suffering, um, hopefully in relation to Reformation, um, I, uh, I replied by, by giving a suggestion to the organizers that I would like to speak on uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin uh, on their perspective of uh, Christian suffering. And then on the second session uh, that we're going to have together, I, I'm going to speak on uh, the role of uh, Christian suffering in the Christian life. And I'll try to base that on the scripture, but also on my personal experience and then the experience of the church in Eritrea uh, in relation to uh, persecution and, and suffering. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to John 15, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15. I'm going to read uh, starting from verse 18 to uh, 25. John Chapter 15, 18 to uh, 25. Other writers of, uh, especially the New Testament, have spoken about Christian suffering. But it's always good to hear it directly from our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ always put things into the proper uh, perspective for us. So I, I chose to start with our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, John 15, um, starting from verse 18. Should be chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have sinned and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Let's pray. A gracious and heavenly Father, how we magnify and bless your name for the protest, Protestant Reformation and all the reformers whom you have used to establish your church, the true and Bible-believing church throughout the world. And tonight, as we remember what you have accomplished in history through the dedication and commitment and obedience of all the reformers, we, we, we want to return thanks to you, our God, for raising men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and others to lead the way in reforming the church for your glory and the gathering and perfecting of your people. And tonight as we gather in this place to reflect on their work, on their life, especially in relation to suffering. We ask you to speak to the heart of each and every one of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
May this evening not be just a, a meeting, a conference that we hear stories and maybe exposition of your word, but this evening would be an evening that we all would learn from you, we all would hear your voice through the proclamation of your word and apply it in our Christian life and share it with many others who haven't heard about these things before. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I, I, um, I chose two men, two great reformers, and uh, their life, for me to relate their life to suffering. And uh, I, uh, I was born and raised in a Lutheran church. My dad was a Lutheran minister. So, every time I speak, every time I speak about uh, Martin Luther and John, Cal- John Calvin, I always incline to Luther first. So, because of my upbringing. So, I'm going to start with Martin Luther tonight. And um, as an introduction, I, I would like to remind all of you that um, as we celebrate the Protestant Reformation, of uh, the the 15th and 16th century, we will be focusing on Luther and Calvin's perspective or view of suffering. Suffering as a result of, number one, being a Christian and for the cause of the gospel. That's Christian suffering. That's suffering on the account of the gospel for the sake of the name of Christ. And then secondly, physical infirmity, sickness and illness and other uh, frailty that we experience in the Christian life as believers. Uh, Paul talks about that kind of suffering in Romans chapter 8. How would you handle um, physical uh, illness and suffering and frailty in the Christian life? How do you put the perspective of uh, you are actually on your way to glory, but this is a time of transition. How do you manage that life? Because you are not in heaven yet, but we st- you still suffer even physically here in this life. So, it could be for the cause of the gospel, but also it could be that you are going through a very difficult time in a Christian life. So, how do you handle that? So, tonight's uh, presentation is not on history. Uh, but practical aspect of how the two reformers viewed suffering in the Christian life. And then, of course, the role of suffering in the Christian life today. And let me start with Martin Luther on suffering. And uh, every time I say I agree with Luther, it's my statement. And then if I just continue without saying that, then it's from Luther. So, so, so that you know. But if I say I agree with him, so something is coming from me, from the scripture. But I'm, I'm saying it. So Luther said, we, we often assume that this life should be free from suffering. You know, even today, many, many believers assume that. They kind of expect that. If you are a Christian if you are the lover of Christ, the follower of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ somehow should uh, make your life free of uh, suffering. So we try to remove suffering at all costs. But in reality, in truth, it is impossible. In reality, we all will experience sin in the Christian life. We will struggle with sin. Sometimes we might uh, fall into sin. So that's, uh, that's, that's trouble. That's uh, affliction in the Christian life because of our struggle uh, with sin. We still experience death. The death of our beloved ones. We see them suffering. We see them dying. We are on their bedside as they die and say goodbye to us. That's, that's really um, heavy 
and at times painful in the Christian life to see your beloved one um, dying. I, I was on the bedside of my own mother when she died. She suffered from uh, liver cancer for almost a year, but uh, in her moment of, uh, moments of death, I was there with her. And she was reciting Psalm 23 when she was dying. Uh, it, was, it was a great comfort for me, but it was a painful experience for me as a Christian, even as a pastor. We'll experience the, uh, the tyranny of the devil over the world. We, we, we see things around us. We see people um, hating God and hating his children, um, becoming very um, hostile to the gospel and to the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, even uh, in our present day, you will see a well-known reformed man coming out with books that affirm homosexuality. You know, that breaks your heart. And these are professors in some of our seminars in reformed circle, but they come out with a book. They sell books and they affirm homosexuality, very, very um, serious and wicked sin in the sight of God. Uh, that's that's uh, the, the tyranny of the, uh, the devil over the world, but o- o- over the mind of our own people, uh, sadly. And then we'll experience uh, cross and suffering in this life. Uh, cross being uh, what Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now notice that word daily. That's, that's now from me. Okay, I agree with Jesus. Huh? Daily, take up, take up his cross daily and follow me. And as you live your life um, on a daily basis, uh, you will definitely experience uh, various kinds of suffering in the Christian life. John 16, verse 3, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. You know, this is not, you know, Pastor Miller saying Pastor Zaki saying, or one of your elders saying, this is Jesus. And if Jesus tells you something, it's true. It's true. You have to accept it. You have to believe in it. Um, let, me, let me tell you this. Um, uh, persecution uh, is not enjoyable. Uh, suffering is not something that uh, you look for to enjoy. Um, I'm not excited about suffering at all. Because I have been there, I have experienced it. But it's the reality of the Christian life. We can't avoid it. If, when God allows it, it will come to our life. Uh, so what we need to know as believers is what do we do when we go through persecution and suffering in the Christian life. Now Luther understood this. And in light of that understanding, he preached a sermon specifically on this topic in um, Kuburg, um, a town in Germany, in 1530. Um, and, and this is uh, what I took from his sermon that I'm going to share with all of you. In that sermon, Luther said, suffering should not be something we choose. We can't choose which cross we bear. That's up to God, Luther said. Now, I agree with Luther. I agree with with Luther because I I, I think about uh, the suffering of the church in Eritrea. I think about my own experience in suffering uh, in relation to the work of the gospel. I think about um, the test that God gave to Abraham. So the church in Eritrea, myself and Abraham... Um, the, uh, the, 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 the father of the faithful. You know, we all didn't choose the type of suffering that we experience in our life. We didn't choose the place. You know, I never chose a metal shipping container for my life. You know, for three weeks, almost a month. Um, you know, who would choose that? No one would choose that with his right mind. But God chooses those places and those uh, form of um, suffering and, and persecution and test of faith, if you will, especially in the case of Abraham. So 
Luther is right. It's, it's up to God. It should be the kind of suffering which we have not chosen ourselves. And, uh, and he, he makes a reference to the Anabaptists in church history who were able to avoid the, the suffering that they faced in, in their life. And, and Luther uh, mentions them as, as, as a group who would have avoided that kind of suffering from their Christian life. And he said, no, it should be the kind of suffering which, if it were possible, would gladly get rid of it. If it was possible for me, you know, I agree with Luther, I would have avoided all these uh, kinds of suffering and trials that I faced, experienced in my Christian life. So do uh, the church in Eritrea, the church in North Korea, the church in, uh, in the Middle East, you know, we could have avoided uh, all those trials from the life of the church of Jesus Christ. But we don't choose that. We don't choose that. That's, that's God's plan uh, for us. Luther said, of course, it often happens when we endure such suffering that we, we wonder why this would be. Why would God afflict us in this way? Have you asked that question in a Christian life? could be cancer, it could be um, the moment of death of someone whom you really love, you really cherish in life. Um, doesn't he love us? Doesn't he care for us? So Luther addresses this with four reasons. These four reasons comes from uh, Luther's sermon. So let's uh, consider them one by one. First, in this way, in suffering... God wants to make us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Christ, so that we may become like Him here in suffering and there in glory in that life to come in honor and glory. So it has two uh, parts of um, blessing, if you will. Here in this life, we will be conformed to the likeness or to the image of Jesus Christ. We, we, we don't become Jesus, uh, as some would teach today, but uh, we, uh, we, we uh, share some of the attributes of Jesus Christ, His patience, His, his righteousness, His holiness, His love, His courage, His boldness. You know, those good uh, and um, um, excellent uh, qualities of our Lord Jesus Christ. They become ours through suffering. Because it's like fire, like, like gold going through fire and you become purified by suffering. So, so Luther said, uh, we may become like him here on earth through suffering, in suffering. And then there in glory, uh, in that life to come, in honor and glory. Have you, I'm sure um, uh, some of you have studied the book of Romans as, as a Bible study, or maybe Pastor Miller has preached through the book of Romans. But when you come to chapter 8, Luther, uh, sorry, uh, Paul describes the Christian life as... Um, as from grace to glory. From grace to glory. And then in, in, between, in between you have a time of transition. Like, like you are at the airport waiting for, for your connecting flight. That's the Christian life. And anything can happen at the airport, yes? And especially today. Anything can happen at the airport. Anything can happen to your Christian life. By God's permission. God would allow... Anything to happen in your Christian life, but for His holy purpose. Holy purpose. And the purpose is to, to transform you, to conform you to the image and the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. So Luther said, so we suffer in this life, so we would be like our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered in this life. Being like Him here in this life, we will be like Him in the life to come with honor and glory. So, we need to have that perspective in our Christian life every time 
we experience suffering in our Christian life. And then secondly, Luther said, even though God does not want to assault and torment us, the devil does, and he, he cannot abide the word or accept the word of God. Now, it's a very uh, hard and complicated statement, but what Luther meant is, uh, he means that the devil wants us to suffer because of the word of God. Because of the truth of the word of God. And God uses this suffering so that we may learn that the word of God is greater than the devil. You see, the devil wants you to suffer because of the truth of the word of God. Because of the truth of the word of God. Um, I'll talk more about this when, when, I, when, when we come to my, my second session, but... You know, every time believers are taken to prison in Eritrea, the number one question that the, um, um, the one who interrogates you would ask you is how this Bible is different than the Bible that the Eastern Orthodox Church uses. Because the Eastern, Orth Eastern Orthodox Church is a state church. So it's approved by the government. So the first question is, tell me how this, this Bible that you read is different than the Bible that the priests in the um, Eastern Orthodox Church or Coptic Church uses. Um, then when you uh, tell them that uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then you tell them, that's where we differ. Because for us, the only way to the Father is Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No merit of uh, my own. No prayers of Saint Mary or any other saint. But through Christ alone. So he suffer for that truth. So they, they say something like, you know, are you going to change your mind about that? No. Then they torture you. And then they prolong your imprisonment. Imprisonment time. So, so you see, that's what Luther is saying. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants you to suffer because he doesn't abide the word or accept or obey uh, the word of God. But God uses this suffering so that we may learn that the word of God is greater than the devil. But not, not only the one who suffers, the child of God, but also the enemies of the gospel will see you suffering for the truth of the word of God. And then they see that what you believe about the word of God is greater than the devil. Without suffering, you see, God, He can accomplish His purpose. But he chooses suffering to accomplish his purpose with, with some of us. Not all of us. Uh, he has different plans for each and every one of us. Then our Lord looks for... Then Luther said, Then our Lord looks on, on for a while and puts us in a tight place so that we may learn from our experience that the small and weak word is stronger than the devil and the gates of hell. So that's how the Lord uses suffering. To show us that his word is greater than the devil and the gates of hell. And then thirdly. It is highly necessary, Luther said, that we suffer. Not only that God may prove his honor, power and strength against the devil. But also in order that when we are not in trouble and suffering, this excellent treasure that we have in Christ, all the riches in Christ, our justification, our adoption, our sanctification, our glorification, all these riches that we have in Christ, treasure he calls them, uh, we may have, may not merely make us sleepy, 
and secure, but secure in a wrong way. So, you are not ready to stand for the truth of the gospel. You claim to be a child of God, but you see people um, insulting the, na- the name of Christ, persecuting, persecuting believers, becoming very hostile to the truth of God's word, and then, uh, and then you are not concerned about it. You don't pray about it. You don't um, uh, take the gospel to those people in love and in truth, uh, but you become neutral. You, you, you are at ease. You, you don't care about it as, as a child of God, as a Christian. Um, uh, you know, it makes you what, you know, according to Luther, sleepy. So God gives us suffering so that we would not get sleepy in this life. But always look to the treasure we have in Jesus Christ and his eternal promises which will be ours forever. Now, in Second uh, Corinthians, the verse that uh, Luther uh, quotes in his sermon, Second Corinthians chapter 4, very um, appropriate verse for the subject, Second Corinthians uh, 4.17. This is what Paul said, So we do not lose heart, though our momentary For this life momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This suffering is momentary, but it's preparing for us for what is coming. And what is coming is the glorification of the children of God. The glorification of our bodies. That's what's coming. So, um, Luther reminds us that God uses suffering for these purposes. And fourthly, the last one, Christian suffering is honorable and precious, Luther said, above all other human sufferings. Because since Christ himself suffered, you know, whatever Christ experienced, Imagine you also experience it. You share his suffering. Because since Christ himself suffered, he also honored or hallowed the suffering of all Christians. From my reading on the Puritans, one of the things that I read about the Puritans' perspective on suffering the Puritans called uh, Christian suffering, any kind of suffering. Suffering for the cause of the gospel, suffering physically. Um, they they, uh, they call them uh, sanctified trials from God. When God brings those trials to your life, he first sanctifies them. So that they will not go beyond limits. See? Beyond of his will. And purpose. So God is in control. When you suffer, God is in complete control. And then the time will come where God says, enough. I have fulfilled my purpose on my child. So the one who is afflicting you, the one who is persecuting you, or the sickness, goes away. Because God is done. He has fulfilled his purpose. And you can see that in the scripture. You can see that in your personal experience as a Christian. It is true. You see, God is always in control. He, he hallowed the suffering of all Christians. I love, I love this statement of all Christians. Not only reformers, not only Pastor Miller and myself and the elders, deacon, but every child of God. His suffering is hallowed. By God. By Christ. When Christians suffer, it is, 
It is a suffering which Christ himself has made holy for them. Now listen to this. Luther said, when non-Christians run into affliction and suffering, they have nothing to comfort them. So one day, I was taken to prison. So for about three weeks, I was by myself in a very small prison cell. And then after three weeks, they transferred me to a bigger room, but they had prisoners who were not believers. Uh, they were imprisoned for um, uh, money laundry, um, crossing the border, um, you know, doing some um, simple things. So they broke the law and they were imprisoned. But they were unbelievers. And uh, so they, they brought me to that room. And uh, so, you know, you don't have... You don't have yeah, a bad time, really, you know, but you, you become tired from talking to, you know, like 37, 40 people in one room. And you're just sitting, and if you want to go to sleep, you just, you know, uh, you just sleep where you are sitting. Uh, no, no blanket, no mattress, nothing. It's just, just uh, an empty room. Um, but uh, they see me praying. They see me praying, and one of them asked me, um, you know, we all are in one room in prison, and uh, it seems like, you know, you have some kind of hope. That's what he said to me. You have some kind of hope. You, you, you are praying to somebody. You know, he, he called it God somebody. Uh, so, so I told him I was praying to God. So we start talking about the hope that we have in God. The hope that we have in Christ. So the one thing I realized in that room was all those people, unbelievers, they had no hope. Any sort of hope. So what came to my mind was, well, this government put me in prison so that I wouldn't preach. Now I have a church here. <laughs> it was a wonderful time of ministry for me. Because all were unbelievers. Without hope. They were miserable. And they were open to hear and listen. Any, I mean, you know, they had all the time <laughs> that they need in that room. So, it was a, w a wonderful time. But, you see, um, we have hope. They don't have hope. They, because they are apart from Christ. For they do not have um, nothing to comfort them. For they do not have the mighty promises of the gospel and confidence in God. So they, they can't count on it that God will turn their afflictions and sufferings for good. You see, you and I, we can say uh, to those who love God, all things work together for their good. You and I can say that. It's ours in Christ. It belongs to us. That promise belongs to us because we are united with Christ by faith. But not for them. Not for them. So they suffer without hope. We suffer with hope and comfort. Praise God. That's the difference, you see. That's the difference. There is a special, um, Luther said, there is a special uh, component to suffering for Christians. A, not only has Christ made their suffering holy, but B, there is also a special hope for them. A living hope. You see, Peter calls this hope a living hope. Because it's grounded on what? On the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where your hope is grounded. Hope. Luther said that points to the work of God, work to conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. You see, this living hope has fingers, and its fingers points to the work of God that conforms you to the image of Christ. It points to uh, the words and promises of the scripture, to the power that overcomes the world and the evil one. 
It points to the one who loves and cares for us. You remember the way Paul concludes Romans chapter 8. Nothing, absolutely nothing would separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he lists, you remember, all those possibilities that people would think, maybe death would separate me. Maybe my sin. Maybe the devil. Maybe the world. Maybe the government. Like the government in Eritrea. Maybe, you know, all these um, people and circumstances, sword, persecution, you know, he, he lists all those, you know, possibilities in the mind of, you know, you and I, who, who sometimes doubt, uh, and then the answer was, uh, no, no one, nothing, because of what? Because God is for us. So no one can be against us. Who can be against God? I mean, anyone can be against me, against boys, <laughs> but no one can be against God. Even if they try, they will fail, and they have tried that, and they failed, it, failed, it, failed, it, failed, because he's God. Is God. So, um, so that, that was Luther. That was Luther. Um, so let's come briefly to um, John Calvin and suffering. Do, do we still have time? John Calvin and suffering. Um, how many of you have read um, John Calvin's biography? Biography. John Calvin's biography or life story, who he was, what he did in time of Reformation. How many hands? Okay. Boy, they need to give her a reading assignment. <laughs> um, so every time John Calvin deals with suffering, the one thing that he brings into the suffering of the children of God is the aspect of joy. You see, with Luther, it's always the cross and suffering. Christ died on the cross, suffering for our sin, and then you and I share him in his suffering, and then share him in his glory and honor. With John Calvin, it's always any kind of suffering in a Christian life should never disturb your Christian joy. That's John Calvin. Should never disturb your Christian joy. So Calvin said, and this is a quote from Calvin, there is nothing in afflictions which ought to disturb our joy. The fact that John Calvin said these words might not surprise you. Because you don't know the, the man as you should know him. But what you may not know is that Calvin suffered from chronic asthma, migraine, headaches, kidney stones, hemorrhoids, gallstones, severe arthritis, and frequent influenza. This was the reformer who gave us the institutes of the Christian religion with all these diseases in his life. He was not a healthy man. He was not a strong man physically. God greatly afflicted him. He was a reformer. He loved God. He loved the people of God. But God allowed all these things to come to his life. And I'm sure you have heard people say John Calvin as a man, as a reformer, was very cold and harsh. You know, people make statements like that about John Calvin, and then um, I always conclude, you know, <laughs> they have never read about him. They don't know the man. Because if you read John Calvin, then he's not called an harsh man. 
especially in his writings, they say, uh, but it's not true. If you, sp- if you spend time in studying his life and work, uh, this is what you will find out. In the, med- in, the midst- in the midst of all his agonizing and um, distressing suffering or affliction, he was an advocate of great joy. You know, he was telling people to rejoice at the time that he was suffering. And, and that would cause you to remember Paul when he uh, wrote the letter to the church in Philippi. He was in prison. And his command, his exhortation to the believers was rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And I say again, rejoice in the Lord. That was John Calvin. John Calvin lived his life in that principle. John Calvin, not only he, he taught and expound James 1-2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. But he also walk it and live it in it. In his commentary on the, book, on the book of James, John Calvin said, The Lord afflicts us in various ways because ambition and avarice or greed, envy, gluttony, intemperance, excessive love of the world, and the innumerable lusts in which we abound cannot be cured by some medicine, other medicines, but through suffering. God uh, uses suffering to sanctify us and deal with those weak areas of our life, weak areas of our life. Calvin said, God in his wisdom knows that we need various kinds of trials to sanctify various areas in our lives. He knows. You know, God knows you and I in and out. You know, some of the um, character uh, difficulties that we struggle with in the Christian life, sometimes we don't even tell our family members. About that, but God knows it. And God deals with that in a way that you would never expect in a Christian life. Calvin continues, It is indeed certain that all the senses of our nature are so formed that every trial produces in us grief and sorrow. But this does not prevent the children of God to rise. By the guidance of the Spirit above the sorrow of the flesh. Hence, it is that in, in the midst of trouble, they cease not to rejoice. They don't cease to rejoice. One thing that you must appreciate about Calvin is that he is a realist. He knows suffering is hard, for he suffered mightily himself. He recognizes the anguish of a hard season. But I always love, you know, every time I read about John Calvin, I love that he reminds us that we can rejoice amidst, amidst trials. Indeed, we are commanded to do so in Philippians 4.4. 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. John Calvin said when trial... Trials come, we cry and weep and lament and cry out to God. He said it is painful. But he also, he also mentions it is not joyless. Did you hear that? He said it is painful, but it is not joyless. By the Spirit's help, you can rejoice and count your sufferings as joy, not only when hard seasons have passed, but when you are directly in, in, in the middle of one. Joy is available right there, Calvin said. As you suffer, as you are in pain, joy, joy is still there. Some of you, you know, uh, our elder uh, 
Bill Wilson. He's 92. He's in a senior home. His strength is declining every day. Every day. So I visit Bill once in a week. Once in a week, I sit with him for about one hour. So we read the scripture, we pray together. And I, I, told, I told the congregation, uh, maybe two, three weeks ago, um, what I'm going to tell you now. Every time I visit with Bill Wilson, 92, long-time elder in the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, but in a senior home for almost a year now, he misses his wife, he misses being with his wife in his, in his house, children, grandchildren. And um, as, as I'm about to leave the room, always, always, he says this to me. Zaki, Christ is sufficient. Always. And he smiles. And yesterday, the only difference yesterday was Zaki, Christ is sufficient and then tears. That was the only difference yesterday. I think we have I think we have little time with our brother, with our elder. But his declaration is not discouragement. His declaration is Christ is sufficient and smile, which is joy. You see? So he's suffering, he's he's in a great pain. And his two legs are swallowed and pain, anti-pain every day. They increase his medicine from time to time. He's in a lot of pain, but not joyless. He's joyful in the Lord. That's what, that's what John Calvin is uh, talking about. Now, let me, ask you, let, let, me, uh, let me ask you a question. Did Calvin practice what he preached? That's that's a very important question. It's, okay, he has he has been preaching to us, but did he live it? Live it. After less than a year of marriage, idolate, Calvin's wife died. He never remarried. He never had children. In his biography on John Calvin, Bruce Gordon rightly makes note that Calvin had had many shortcomings. But Calvin was not incessantly harsh and stoic like his opponents portray him to be. In fact, the death of his wife almost left him undone. He prayed. This is, this is his prayer after he lost his wife, the love of his life. He prayed, the Lord Jesus, support me also under this heavy affliction which certainly overcome me. See? He said to God in his prayer, I think this is heavy. It has overcome me. I need your help. Have you been there as a Christian? Have you been there? I have been there. Or you might say, oh, a pastor? You should be there. No, I have been there. I'm sure some of you have been there in a Christian life. Help me. Help me. So he prayed, the Lord Jesus support me also under this heavy affliction which certainly overcome me. Had not, had not he who raises up the prostrate, strengthens the weak, and refreshes the weary. And then he said, stretch his hand from heaven to me. He was weak because of what he experienced. He lost a wife. Lost a wife. Calvin was able to experience joy even amid the deepest and darkest, the darkest pain. For Calvin, trials are occasions of joy. It was enough for him to know that all trials are sent from God. And for our good. As he once said. This is a quotation from him. Thou, O Lord. Thou uh, bruises me. It is enough for me to know 
it is thy hand. What a quotation. Calvin said, you bruise me, but it is enough for me to know it is thy hand. And if it's thy hand, Calvin meant, because if you continue reading, which I did, if he knows it's the hand of God on him, though painful, it should be for his good. Because it's God. It's the hand of God. Children, young children like, you know, like sometimes the hand of your father, the hand of your mother. Yeah, sometimes it's painful, but it's for your good. Because they love you. And if, when the hand of God comes upon you to conform you to the image of His Son Jesus Christ through trials, through suffering, this caring and loving hand has come upon you. So even though sometimes it's painful, but it is for our good. So suffering from, from two reformers. Should we pray or let's pray? Our gracious and heavenly Father, we indeed need this instruction in our Christian life. This is a, remi- a reminder to each and every one of us that we too might go through suffering and trials in the Christian life. And when we do, O oh Lord, help us your grace and your spirit to imitate Christ, to imitate Martin Luther and John Calvin, and suffer the, the way they suffered, the way they understood suffering. Help us not to dismiss suffering as something that comes to us from the devil, from the world. Or sometimes we just ignore it without giving it our attention and ask you, Lord, what do you want me to learn? Oh Lord, teach us by your spirit and through your word to even think about these things this week and read more and pray more about these things. So that when suffering and trials comes to our Christian life, we would know how to handle them for your glory and for the good of our soul and for the good of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.